Good morning, church. Ooh, that's the kind of volume I like. It's like the thunderous voice of the Lord this morning. Good morning. It is great to be with you all this morning. We're continuing our series called Going for the Gold. I've had the opportunity to watch the Olympics over the last week or so. I hope you guys have had the opportunity to watch. A couple of cool things on recap. Uh, If you didn't get to see it, Brazil's soccer team won Olympic gold in soccer. What was really cool about this is is it was tied at the end of regulation, and it ended in a shootout. Brazil was uh, playing against Germany, so Germany would shoot, they scored, Brazil would shoot, they scored. It was four shootouts to four shootouts. Brazil's goalie blocks a shot. The stadium just goes crazy, and then Brazil's star player kicks a goal on Germany's goalkeeper. Brazil wins the goal. That was a really, really cool moment. Um, Michael Phelps becomes one of the most decorated Olympians ever in the history of the Olympic Games. We had an American guy win the 1500 meter, what looked like a sprint to me, right? That guy ran a mile in the time it takes me to run about an eighth of a mile. So he was finished about the time I'd get halfway around a quarter of the way around the track, right? One guy who, uh, Mo Farah of Great Britain, run, ran the 10,000 meter uh, race, won gold, fell in the middle of the race, comes back to win. He also wins the 5,000 meter race, which is uh, 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 3.1 miles. And he ran 3.1 miles in about the time it takes me to run one. It was about 13 minutes. Do I have any other 13 minute milers in the audience this morning? Come on, come on. There's no shame in that. All hands all across the auditorium go up. God bless you guys. Okay? And you will be blessed. Alright? We're spending our time doing other things and running really, really fast. But the Olympics really changes the guys who are competing. I can't imagine, and I'm sure anything is possible, but I can't imagine getting fit enough to really compete in races at that level. But the guys who really get caught up in that desire to really run the race and to run to win, to really go for the gold, those individuals are transformed. Anybody who shows up and competes at that level has been changed. You see, these are guys who when they set out to to win the gold, to really go for the gold, they do what's required to be transformed into a champion. The writer of Hebrews has been talking to his audience about that very thing. He wants to turn Christians into champions for Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, he actually uses some of the language of running a race. And the New Testament does that with frequency. The writer of Hebrews initially in Hebrews chapter 12 encourages us to look back on some of the heroes of our faith. And draw some inspiration from them. He says they're surrounding us like a great cloud of witnesses. And as though, and he describes our life almost as though we're participating in a race in a stadium with everything on the line. He encourages us to run that race with perspiration. To really put in the sweat equity required to win. He also admonishes us to be determined. To keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. 
And to stay determined to emulate the life of Jesus Christ in this race that we're running to win. And today we're going to end our series on transformation. And for the preacher in Hebrews to really communicate this point to his audience, he says a few very significant things that I want to give to you. Three, in fact, that should be and will be, I believe, very transformational in your life. So if you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to pick up the text starting in verse 4. In verse 4, the preacher in Hebrews chapter 12, the guy who's writing to this particular audience, gives these guys some harsh feedback. He has some words to communicate to them the way he really expects them to live. He's been speaking about it up to this point, but now he really brings his point home. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4. The Bible says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines The one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. The first thing this preacher hopes his audience understands is that he wants them to get tough. Everybody say, get tough. I don't know what what you grew up with in terms of what television you watched as as you were growing up. In the 1990s, the G.I. Joe animated television show had the coolest intro music on the planet. Some of you guys know what it is. I'm going to sing it for you right now to bless you. Got to get tough. Go, Joe. Got to get tough. Yes. One guy up here at the front's excited about that. Y'all are party poopers. I had this vision of just everybody. Go, Joe. So G.I. Joe's had to be tough, man, because these guys were really fighting in a war. And there was a very real enemy who was trying to completely destroy everything that they stood for. But the writer of Hebrews admonishes his audience that the war is real and the race is factual. And that they need to be tough to go for the goal. When I think of toughness in the scriptures, I think of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is talking about some of the things that he's endured as a result of his faith and testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pick up the text in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. He, he would say this, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once... I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been consistently on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. I've been in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. The Apostle Paul was a Christian that knew what toughness was all about. But this particular scriptural illustration isn't exactly a perfect fit for our text in Hebrews this morning. You see, the writer of Hebrews is really not 
specifically talking about getting tough so you can resist the social pressure you're going to face when you take a stand for Jesus Christ. He's not necessarily talking about getting tough for the slander or the ostracism or even the persecution you're going to face for keeping fast to your testimony of Jesus Christ. What the writer of Hebrews 12, 4 is saying is, you just need to learn to get tough in your ability to resist sin. He's saying you guys aren't even to the point spiritually where you can resist sin if it would require the shedding of your blood. The writer of Hebrews understands that for his audience, these guys have to toughen up to the point of being able to resist sin, even if it costs the shedding of some blood to get them to black belt level spirituality, which is to be tough enough to maintain the integrity of your testimony for Jesus Christ, even in the face of social pressure and persecution like the Apostle Paul was capable of doing. But before we get to that place, church, we've got to be able to resist the sinfulness that is within us, even if it costs some shedding of blood. I think there's some sensitivity here on the part of the writer. I think he understands the difficulty involved in battling with that compulsion sometimes we have to sin. But if you're going to run the race to win and really get the gold you got to get tough. Our text then moves on to say, not only do you need to learn how to be tough in resisting sin, you need to be tough in how you face hardships. For our, for our author this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, the saying is true, in Christ, no pain, no gain. In the Lord Jesus Christ, no pain, no gain. The writer of Hebrews is actually citing Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 here, almost verbatim in Hebrews 12. The Bible says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent His rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father, the son, He delights in. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. In it, he tries to address the very real struggle we face in dealing with painful situations in our lives. He says that God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in the midst of our pain. Pain seems to be God's megaphone for rousing a deaf world. And that's absolutely how we need to approach difficulties and struggles and trials. But I want to communicate to you something that's very clear. That this metaphor can be taken too far. It is never God's will for sin to occur in your life. And if the pain and the trial and the struggle you're facing is a result of some sort of sexual abuse or infidelity or adultery or divorce or drug addiction or alcoholism, those things are not 
God's will. He is not standing in the thrones of heaven assigning you painful addictions and painful experiences simply to grow and develop you. Now, is it absolutely true that God is going to use every single painful experience you go through for your gain? Let me hear you, church. Absolutely it is. That's a, that's a quote I love from Celebrate Recovery, is that we serve a God who is so full of grace and love, He is never going to waste any hurt you've ever experienced. God's going to use it all for your gain, somehow. What we're talking about specifically here are times where you've stood strong in your faith and resisted sin and experienced persecution or social pressure as a result. In those moments... God's working in that social pressure and persecution to grow you and develop you and bring gain to your level of spiritual development. And that's God's intent in the midst of that struggle and trial. So our preacher initially has some pretty harsh feedback for his audience. Look guys, you've got to get tough. And your struggle against sin, you need to resist. You need to toughen up. And in how you approach tragedy and hardship and tribulation, you need to see that as God doing a work in you, even in the midst of your pain. And from this point in the text, our preacher moves into a helpful formula. A helpful formula. Let me pick up Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7. The Bible says this, Endure hardships that is discipline. God is treating you as His children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not the true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Now, I, I wrote this down. I wanted to do something real cool for you guys this morning. Buckle up. Are you ready? Just say amen. amen. Two people are ready. All right? I wrote this down in longhand formula form to help you remember it. This is worth writing down. This is worth the price of admission today. Whatever it costs you to get here, baby. Okay, here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying in terms of his helpful formula. If you're going to really conquer hardships, you've got to divide those hardships with endurance. Raise your hand if you've ever heard the phrase, divide and conquer. Come on, somebody, let me see it. Divide and conquer. That's a lot of you guys. That's your approach to hardship based on Hebrews 12. If you're really going to conquer hardship, you've got to divide and conquer it using endurance. You just have to develop the capacity to endure. There really is going to be light at the end of your tunnel in Jesus Christ. So endure. But it's not simply just endure arbitrarily, waiting and longing for the end to come, hoping that it comes sooner rather than later. It's about multiplying your endurance with your mindset. And what we have to do to multiply endurance with my mindset is change how I view hardship. In Christ now what I know is that hardship is for my growth 
and maturity. No pain, no gain. But to know some measure of pain, I will have some measure of gain. And so when I experience hardships in life, I, divide, I conquer those hardships by dividing them with endurance. That's the divide and conquer formula for overcoming hardship. But I also need to multiply endurance by a change in my mindset. I now have to start looking at hardship as though it's something God's using to develop me and mature me. Now I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you, nobody raise your hands, have experienced a lot of maturity in 12 to 24 or even 48 hours? Nobody, nobody would raise your hand if you're being honest. And if you honestly think you have, I would, ask the per, I would ask you to ask the person that knows you best to verify or validate that. Maturity and growth takes a long time. And when my mindset in terms of how I view hardships is correct... What I will know is that those hardships are going to grow and develop me. So I will change my approach as far as hardships are concerned to become more patient and more persistent as God does a growth-promoting work in me. That's, That's the formula for transformation Right here in Hebrews chapters 12. Now what's the output if I'll divide and conquer hardship with endurance? And I will multiply endurance by a change in my mindset, which will change dynamically my approach to problems. What's the output? I do want to see a show of hands here because this is really, really cool. How many knows what the sign is over the word adoption? I want to see a show of hands. Look around. These are the brightest people in the audience, y'all. Come on now, be, be, be boastful, be prideful, let me see it, okay? Some of you would call it the square root sign, can I get an amen, okay? If you're super, super smart, you call that a, does anybody know? Radical, you call it a radical. Now, two things important about this, the first one is, ain't nobody ever going to tell you ever again that you ain't going to use no algebra in your life. I'm a preacher, I never use algebra, and here it is, right here in the middle of a sermon, algebra, all over this PowerPoint. So everybody in the audience will be able to leave today and tell their sons and daughters or grandchildren or nephews or nieces or whatever children are in your life, anytime you hear, I'm never going to use this algebra, you say, oh no, our preacher said in Hebrews chapter 12, there's algebra right there in the text. Can I get an amen, somebody? If you divide and conquer hardship with endurance and and multiply your endurance by a change in mindset and a change in approach, that will lead to radical adoption. It leads to radical adoption because through that you get adopted into the family of God. Not as some illegitimate child who's not being disciplined, but as a legitimate child of an almighty God who's saying it is in this hardship and trial where I am disciplining you and developing you and growing you that I am proving to you, you are my legitimate son or daughter. That's radical spiritual adoption. Is anybody excited about that this morning? Praise God. Radical adoption. That's the helpful formula. And when we keep that truth and that reality in mind, 
in our approach to whatever situation we're going through, we'll experience the kind of transformation that the Scriptures want us to experience at this moment. There are three qualities of a radically adopted individual, which is the radically transformed individual that the writer of Hebrews is being, has been leading up to, that we will experience in the midst of our hardship. Three things. Let me pick up the text, because our preacher is going to turn into what I'm calling his heartfelt focus. This has been where he's, get, he's wanted to go since the first verse in Hebrews 12. Okay, so let's pick up the text right here. Hebrews 12, 10 through 13. They, these earthly fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. First quality of this kind of radical adoption transformation. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's the second quality, and I'm grouping righteousness and peace together. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees and make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Let me, let me elaborate a little bit before I let you go this morning. The first thing I want to talk through briefly is this idea of holiness. Now, what our author this morning has been doing is he's been comparing earthly fathers to heavenly fathers. And earthly fathers' discipline is temporary. Trent, how do you know that for sure? Well, think about how that's played out in your life, y'all. I have an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 4-year-old pretty close to it. When I discipline my children... That does not immediately lead to a lasting behavioral change. Can I get an amen? Amen. When I discipline my children, chances are the same thing I discipline them for in that moment, what's going to happen? They're going to do that again. And then they might even do that again. And then they might even do that again if they're a lot like their mom, right? (laughs) They would get that from my side. Y'all know me well enough to know that. The word here in the, in the Hebrew is hagiotes. And I cannot pronounce that without sounding like I'm sp- saying a word in Spanish. It's that last part of that word that just always comes out more Hispanic than it does Greek. Okay? So I wouldn't repronounce it the way I'm pronouncing it. But that's the only time that conjugation of the word is used in Scripture. And when the writer of Hebrews is talking about this kind of holiness from that kind of a heavenly father, what he's saying is that this is the kind of behavioral change that is lasting. Not just something that happens in the moment and then our behavior reverts right back. This is the kind of discipline and rebuke that's lasting. Here's what our author has in mind. I want you to go back in time to your rock bottom. Are you hearing me? I want you to go back in time to that moment when you were at the lowest of the low. And in that moment, didn't the experience of God's discipline and chastening lead to transformation in you that changed you forever? That's the way it happened in me. When I go through hardship or trial or tribulation and it's tough, And I even might feel like I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death itself. And then God delivers me out of that. Man, it's those experiences that lead to lasting transformation in me. 
That's the same idea in Acts 14.22. We've got to strengthen. Uh, the, the Bible says that the, the disciples were strengthened and encouraged. And that they must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's those hardships and those struggles and those deep valleys that lead to lasting, permanent transformation. That's the kind of holiness we get through radical adoption. When God really demonstrates that we're His legitimate sons and daughters by doing something in the midst of our trial that helps us grow. Not only will we become more holy, more like Jesus, and in a lasting way as a result of those deep valleys that we've traveled down, but we'll experience some righteousness and peace as a result of that growth. The word righteousness is taken from Old English, writ wit, meaning right way. And if you'll go back to those deep, dark, rock-bottom moments in your life, and you'll recall the behavioral change that you experienced as a result, and how it felt to really start living the right way, the way of Christ, the way of light rather than darkness. What happened in your life was that you got hungry for more and more of that right way because it led to peace that was actually authentic, not some momentary, inauthentic, pseudo-version of peace that really left me wanting more. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, when Jesus is talking about the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount, He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And it truly is our trials and tribulations that develop that hunger and thirst for righteous living that brings peace. Because it's what we've been longing for all along in those deep, dark valleys of sinful brokenness. In 1909, Ernest Shackelford landed on the South Pole. Actually, he landed on, out, on Antarctica with a goal of traveling to the South Pole. He took a couple of horses and a few friends and made the journey. And it was a, a, a complete and total disaster. They were way underplanned and way underprepped. 127 days later, he finally makes it back to his camp of origin. All horses dead, all rations exhausted. They were in a state of almost delirium and starvation. This explorer would say that the thing that was hardest to deal with were the delusions of food that they kept experiencing on their journey. It was so hard to keep going with the hunger and thirst that they felt and the desire they had to just sit down and experience a meal. But certainly for us in Jesus Christ, it's those hardships that we've lived through that make us so much more hungry for righteousness and peace that comes from living God's way. Can I get a witness, somebody? And that's what happens if we really experience the transformation God wants us to here. The last thing that the writer of Hebrews says in this particular text is that we're going to get strength. Now here's where it kind of gets weird because the way that he says this, it, it, it's, it's him saying you get your strength. 
You do something. You put your effort into this. You strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. And you level your paths. You make it happen. And he's kind of being so pastoral and encouraging here. This change in tone is hard to get. And I don't know what commentary I got this from. I was going to try to cite it, but I looked at a couple and couldn't find it again. So then I thought, well, maybe I'm the one who came up with this application of Hebrews 13, 13 right here. The the writer of Hebrews is really trying to culminate everything he's been saying with this verse right here in Hebrews 13, 13. Get this, and then we're going to wrap In Hebrews chapter 13 and 13, the writer of Hebrews indicates that Jesus had to go outside the camp and bear disgrace. How in the world is that an application to the strength we need to find in Jesus Christ? But think about the strength of Jesus Christ himself. Think about the origin of the strength of Jesus Christ and where that strength came from. It came from God the Father. And the way God the Father imparted strength unto Jesus Christ was by His surrender. God, you're calling me to go minister to this group and there could be persecution? I surrender. God, you're calling me to go into this city and they could throw me in jail or try to kill me or press false charges against me? I surrender. God, you're calling me to go outside the camp, outside the city, to the place where garbage and refuse would be delivered. You're calling me to go out there. That's where you want me to go. If that's where you want me to go, God, Jesus would say, I surrender. God, you're calling me to the cross of Calvary. You're calling me to give everything up. That's what's so significant about the way Hebrews 13, 13 describes our Lord Jesus Christ. He went outside the camp and he bore disgrace. And in that moment, he was strong because he was totally surrendered to God. And that's how we can become strong ourselves, not of our own strength, but of our capacity to surrender. And our strength is going to be equal to our level of surrender. And if we're really going to be transformed radically by God's power and become adopted as sons, and we're going to get lasting holiness and a hunger for righteousness and peace that God continually fills, then we've got to constantly live in a state of surrender where God can steadily fill us with His strength. That is transformation. And that's how you are going, guaranteed, to win the gold in whatever situation it is you're facing in life. Not by your own strength, but by the strength and power of the God of the universe. I don't know what the need is in your life, but I invite you, after I pray, to come forward. We want to love on you. We want to pray with you and encourage you as you are running this race of life. Let's pray. God, I love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, so much for Jesus.
Thank you that we get to know you by his sacrifice. There aren't words to describe how grateful we are for that. And it's through him that we get transformed into your sons. And that's the kind of transformation that's going to make us holy, righteous, and peaceful, and strong. Anybody hungry for more of that this morning, I ask that you'd empower to come forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.